Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, December 29th. Wow, this year is speeding, speeding ahead, almost nearing the finish line to 2021. So this is Daily Power Parsha. We're going to go through the daily reading of the Torah portion. Torah portion this week is Va'era, wherein the plagues begin. We've had a lot of introductory um, narrative. We've done a lot of buildup. A lot of back and forth and Moses being told to do the mission. He starts the mission. It's not working out. God says, don't worry, keep on going. A lot of back and forth, getting people on board and kind of like facilitating. Now it's about the wheels moving forward. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in to the text, to the reading, to the Torah. This is Exodus chapter 7, verse number 8. Va'era, reading number 4 for Wednesday. Let's jump in. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Aaron saying the following. When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, provide a sign for yourselves. In other words, Pharaoh may very well or will ask you to prove yourself. How do I know that you guys are actually legit or speaking on behalf of any, you know, God? You guys are just, uh, you know, troublemakers. Who are you? So if he asks for a sign, you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. You will recall that this was the sign that God showed Moses when Moses was asking for a sign. God said, take what's in your hand, a staff, throw it down to the ground. It became a serpent. Moses ran away. He was scared. God says, don't be afraid. Grab it. He grabbed it and turned back into a staff. So that was the staff, miracle, trick, whatever you want to call it. And here it surfaces once again in the context of God telling Moses, it's very likely that Pharaoh is going to ask for a sign. This can be a sign that you can use, that you can pull out of uh, your bag of signs. Tell Aaron, throw the staff, snake, etc. Well, thereupon, the Torah tells us, verse 10, Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. And they did so as the Lord had commanded. So clearly the narrative went exactly as God had predicted, which is... Makes a lot of sense, right? So the narrative worked out exactly as predicted. Pharaoh asked for a sign. And so they did what they did. Aaron cast his staff before Pharaoh and before his servants. He threw down his stick and it became a serpent. Now, the Torah tells us in the next verse, verse 11, that this little magic trick, this little miracle, this little sign did not impress Pharaoh. Because as the Torah continues, then Pharaoh too summoned the wise men and the magicians and the necromancers of Egypt. He called his wise guy or his, um, his advisors, his spiritualists, his, you know, uh, ma magicians, his sorcerers. And they also did likewise with their magic. They, they did the same thing. Each one of them cast down his staff. And they became serpents. So Pharaoh was basically telling Moses and Aaron, you think you're going to impress me with, with this type of trick? This is, not, this is not impressive, right? You think this is impressive? Yeah, my guys can do this also. This is basic magic, sorcery. It's basic stuff, basic level. However, one thing got Pharaoh. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. 
they were able to make their staffs turn into a serpent, but Aaron's staff swallowed their staff. Now, if you read it quickly, you might miss the depth of what just happened. You might think that Aaron's snake swallowed their snake. But is that what the verse says? If you look closely, that's not at all what it says. What does it say? Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. It doesn't say Aaron's snake swallowed their snake. His staff swallowed their staffs, which means the following. They each threw their staffs down and they became turned into a serpent, into a snake. Then they picked them back up and it turned back into a staff, into a stick. And it's only then that Aaron's stick ate their sticks. You with me on this? Not only did it consume the others, but it did so not in the context of a snake, which makes sense that a snake would eat something, but in the context of a staff where it doesn't make sense that it's going to eat anything. This is what we call a miracle inside a miracle. Number one, it was a staff. It had turned from a snake back into a staff. And number two, it, in the state of a staff, it swallowed the other staffs. Now, this was not something that the magicians could do yet, but Pharaoh's heart remained steadfast and he did not hearken to them as the Lord had spoken, as God had predicted. Pharaoh's heart remained unmoved, unimpressed. Pharaoh says, you think that's going to get me to send your people out? No deal, my friend. All right, let's continue. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is heavy. He has refused to let the people out. Right? You told him, you warned him, you showed a miracle, you performed a sign. He's still obstinate. He's still stubborn. Okay, this is what's next. We're escalating. This situation is being escalated. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. Behold, he is going forth to the water. And as the commentary says, Rashi says, he is going forth to the water means he's, he, he is going at the Nile River. He goes to the bathroom in the Nile River. One of the things that Pharaoh told his people is that he is a god and therefore does not need to go to the bathroom. Does not need to relieve himself. Relieve himself. So what would he do? He would bathe, he would, he would hang out on the Nile River and there he would do what he did. So in that way, he would, that was his magic trick, so to speak. So God says to Moses, go catch him in the act, right? Catch him with his, uh, I mean, excuse my, excuse my uh, expression. Catch him with his pants down in the Nile. And uh, that's when you're, you're to deliver this message. And you shall stand opposite him. On the bank of the Nile, you probably don't want to get in the water with him anyway, but stand opposite him, stand on the banks, and the staff that was turned into a serpent you shall take in your hand. So take the staff with you. And you should say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews sent me to you, saying, send forth my people so that they may serve me in the desert. But behold... Pharaoh, you, until now you have not hearkened. All of this is what you should say. Say to him, the Lord of God, the Lord God of Hebrews sent me, saying, let my people go to serve me. But you have not listened thus far. So, can, and the narrative continues. This is still the script. So said the Lord is what Moses is to say to Pharaoh. So said the Lord with this, with this, with this sign, with this miracle, with this plague, 
you will know that I am the Lord. You're stubborn. You don't believe me. Okay, this is going to teach you a lesson. Behold, I will smite with the staff that is in my hand upon the water that is in the Nile, and it will turn to blood. This is all the message that, Moses, that God tells Moses to tell. God scripts it out. God writes out the script. Moses, this is what you tell Pharaoh. Behold, I will smite with the staff that is in my hand upon the water that is in the Nile, and it will turn to blood. And what's going to happen? The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become putrid, and the Egyptians, your people, will, will weary in their efforts to drink water from the Nile. That is the message. Now, let's pause here for a moment. I'm just going to be like triply clear here. Moses had not yet said this to Pharaoh. This is God telling Moses what to tell Pharaoh. It makes it sound like it's a warning. Slow down. This is the, tr this is, this is the script of the warning. It hasn't yet been said. Let's continue. The Lord said to Moses, the Lord continued to tell Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch forth your hand over the waters of, the Egypt, uh, of Egypt. In other words, after you warn Pharaoh, then you're to tell Aaron to take the staff, stretch your hand over the waters of, the, of Egypt, i.e. the Nile, over their rivers, over their canals, over their ponds, and over all their bodies of water, and they will become blood they will all turn to blood. And there will be blood throughout the entire land of Egypt, even in wood and in stone. And what that means is even in wood and stone, what does that have to do with water? Even the water that has already been drawn or poured from the Nile or from other bodies of water, that's now in a wood or stone cup. Imagine you have a cup. You have a vessel. You have flowers on your table in a vase made of stone. And has water in it. A vase of water that has water. Redundant. But it's still, but still perhaps effective. That water too, God tells Moses, will turn to blood. This is all God telling Moses what to do. It's two things. Go to Pharaoh and say, you're now in trouble. You didn't listen. This is going to happen. And then go to Aaron and tell Aaron what to do. And this is what's going to happen. All the water will turn to blood. All right. Super clear. We know, we know the plan. We got the game plan. So here's what happened. Verse 20. Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord had commanded. And he, Aaron, raised the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile before the eyes of Pharaoh and before the eyes of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish that were in the Nile died. And the Nile became putrid, exactly as God had said. The Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, and there was blood throughout the entire land of Egypt, as I said before, not only in the rivers, in the lakes, in the tributaries, but also in the other still bottles of water or, or, or containers of water. Everything turned to blood. Everything became putrid and disgusting. Even if they had a bottle of, what would Nile River uh, water be called? Um, Nile, whatever. Even if they had bottled water from the Nile, it would turn to blood. I'm sorry, it, it turned to blood. This is, now, this is now real time. Verse 20 and 21 is real time. This is actually happening now. 
They did it. He, 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 he admonished Pharaoh. He told him about the plague. Then Aaron hit the water or, yeah, struck the water. It turned to blood. And this was the effect. The fish died. They couldn't drink the water. And there was blood everywhere. Let's continue. And the necromancers of Egypt, the sorcerers, did likewise with their secret rites. Nice. Secret rites. That's cool. Secret, uh, secret stuff. And Pharaoh's heart was steadfast. The necromancers of Egypt also, they showed how you can turn one substance into another. Somehow maybe they had water, some waters that remain water, that turned to blood, or they turned something else to blood, whatever they did. They basically, they, they, they told Pharaoh, don't be so impressed. This is standard sorcery. No big deal. This doesn't show any, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't show any real powers. It's just like the usual stuff. So Pharaoh's heart was steadfast, stubborn. And he did not heed them as the Lord had spoken. He did not heed them, meaning he didn't listen to their demands. Let my people go. He did not listen to them just as God had predicted. Pharaoh turned and went home and he paid no heed even to this. So Pharaoh does not care. Pharaoh is unperturbed. Pharaoh is undisturbed. Pharaoh does not actually, it's not, doesn't actually bother him that this just went down. All right, let's look at some Rashi's. And let's see if we got some insight on this, on the reading thus far. Okay, I'm going to, yeah. The, what I mentioned before, the sign, Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. After it had again become a staff, it swallowed them all. Not as a snake, but as a staff, it swallowed. Which is kind of miraculous because staffs can't swallow. It's not a thing. All right, let's continue. Um, I mentioned before God says to Moses, go find Pharaoh when he goes forth to the water. Rashi says, this is where I got it from, to relieve himself. For he had deified himself and said that he did not need to relieve himself. Right? He had officially announced that he was a god. It's like, therefore I have no longer a need to go to the bathroom. So what did he do? Because obviously that was bogus. So early in the morning, he went out to the Nile, and there he would perform his needs. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's where I got this from. Straight up from the Medrash, Tanchuma, uh, and Shmos Rab. Okay. Let's, uh, let's do some more Rashis. Okay. And it will turn to blood. This is God telling Moses the game plan. Since there is no rainfall in Egypt, as we discussed Last week in our Torah studies class, since there's no rainfall in Egypt, or it's negligible if it does rain, and the Nile ascends and waters the land, in other words, they get, they're sustained. Egypt is sustained. The crops are sustained by the, by the Nile River rising, overflowing its banks, and, you know, flowing into the tributaries and the other, um, you know, irrigation systems that they created. So the Egyptians worship the Nile. It, 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 it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an Egyptian god. He therefore, God therefore, smote their deity and afterwards he smote them. Rashi here explains why it is that God chose that the first plague should strike the Nile River, that it should turn to blood, because it's sending a message. You Egyptians worship the Nile. Your God can't even protect you. In other words, forget you. Because if, we, if, if you guys are stricken, if the Egyptians are stricken first, they're going to say, Nile, please help us. So first step is take out the Nile. Are you with me? The first step is 
take out the river. Strike the river with a plague, and that will demonstrate to the Egyptians that there's nowhere to turn. Who are you, who are you going to pray to now? The Nile is your whole avodazar. It's your whole, your whole idol. Now what? There you go. The Egyptians will weary. What does that mean in their efforts to drink water? Rashi says, the Egyptians will become weary trying to seek a remedy for the waters of the Nile so that it would be fit to drink. They're going to try everything. Filtering and, and, and whatever. They're going to try any trick to get water from the Nile. It's not going to work. You ever see those things? I think they're called like life straw or whatever it is where you, it purifies the water in a straw. It's got this like, incredible filter. You could drink polluted waters or whatever it is and it, it somehow pure, it, it, it filters out all the impurities and it allows you to drink um, healthy drinking water. It's like an incredible um, technology that's in the last, I don't know, five years or so. I, I believe this is a thing. My understanding is it's a thing. So even that in this case wouldn't work, it seems. Right, the Egyptians are going to try everything. It's still not going to work. All right, let's continue. So God tells Moses tell, to tell Aaron to bring the plague, to facilitate the plague. Why say to Aaron? Rashi addresses this. Why, why should Aaron be the one to hit the Nile with his staff? Since the Nile protected Moses when he was cast into it, the Nile had done Moses a solid by keeping him you know, alive and afloat. It therefore was not smitten by him, rather, neither with blood nor with frogs, but was smitten by Aaron. So any time a plague was to strike the Nile River, Moses himself wasn't to be the one to facilitate it because Moses had benefited from that river 80 years prior. Moses is now 80 years old. When he was three months old, that's when his mother put him by the Nile River, and he ultimately floated on the Nile. So the fact that the Nile participated in his salvation meant that Moses just couldn't bring himself to in any way strike the Nile. Even though that was God's intention and part of the plan, Moses couldn't do it. And God knew that Moses couldn't do it and shouldn't do it. So God tells Moses, right, if you look at verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, God tells Moses that you should not be the one doing this. Tell your brother to do this. This is what we call in Hebrew, hakarat hatov. Hakarat hatov means when you acknowledge a, uh, a good thing that someone else has done or something else has done for you. And acknowledging doesn't mean like, you know, thank you. I, 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 I see that you did this for me, you know. But it means a real gratitude and appreciation that is not just lip service, but, it, but it's really felt. And when you really feel it, then you're not going to hit it. You're not going to plague it. And turn it to blood. Even though it needs to happen, somebody else is going to do it. You, you can't bring yourself to do it because of the Hakar Zatov. And that's exactly what Rashi says based on the Medrash. He didn't strike the Nile for the, the plague of blood. He didn't strike the Nile for the plague of frogs. Right? He didn't, he didn't strike the Nile. It was done by Aaron. Next, their rivers. They are rivers that flow like our rivers, canals. So rivers... Rashi is defining what a river is. A river is a naturally flowing body of water. Canals are a reference to man-made pools and ditches extending from the riverbank to the fields. When the waters of the Nile increase, the Nile rises through the canals and irrigates the fields. So the canals refers to, right, it's not Venice. The canals refers to the ditches and trenches. Not trenches, the, I'm sure there's a word for it. But the, 
the system of, of irrigation canals that were built out so that when the, when the Nile is flowing, it overflows into these channels and then goes out to the fields. Okay. Next, there are ponds. Water that does not spring from beneath the ground and does not flow, but stands in one place. Standing water, ponds. Okay. Throughout the entire land of Egypt, the, the water will turn to blood, even in the bathhouses and in the bathtubs in the houses. Interesting. Bathtubs in the houses. Does that imply that, e that Egypt had some sort of indoor plumbing situation? Kind of sounds like it. Sounds like there was some sort of bathtub in ancient Egypt that they had. That would be interesting to look up to see what, that, what that's a reference to. But this is Rashi, who wrote his commentary in the 800s, 900s. Sorry, no, 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 sorry. 800, 900 years ago. So he wrote this commentary in the 1000s and 1100s. Do we know when indoor plumbing became a thing? When did indoor plumbing become a thing? Anybody know this? Somebody, somebody could look this up also. Indoor plumbing, when indoor plumbing becomes a thing. Anyway, it's interesting to, to see, like, you know, to, to try to reference what Rashi is, um, is referring to. Um, bathtubs in the houses. Bathhouses make sense. There were like public bathhouses, but bathtubs in the houses, it sounds like they also had pools or collections of water that they maybe they would just manually bring in. It doesn't have to be plumbing, I guess. It could just be, you know, they would fill up buckets and take it and, you know, fill up a bathtub in the house for whatever purpose. Interesting. This says that the ancient Egyptians created one of the oldest plumbing systems. Their construction was based on the rise and fall of the Nile. There you go. Egyptians used delicate pipe systems made from clay to move the water from the Nile to their farms. They also used pipes to supply homes with water. Hold on. Is this a Jewish source or just a source? It is actually a plumbing company. There you go. Even better. When I say even better, let me explain. This is not even someone trying to explain a Rashi. This is straight up, right? This is like, this is not, there's no bias here. This is straight up, uh, you know. Very interesting. History of indoor plumbing. Facts you can use. There you go. And we're using these facts. Thank you very much, history of indoor plumbing facts. This is fantastic. So ancient Egyptians, they figure out how to move water. Yeah, they weren't. Sometimes we look back, sometimes we think that back in the day people were, you know, they, they, they were foolish. They weren't. They were smart. They built the pyramids. I mean, the Egyptians definitely knew what they were doing with stuff. I mean, they, those pyramids, we still can't figure out how they did it back then. It's still, it still boggles the mind. It's not even possible. It's like, it's like for you, we, we think about it like, how would we build it? You know, it would take a lot of effort and machinery. How did they build it? It's, it's, it's crazy. Anyway, they figured out how to do water as well. So Rashi says, that he, let's not lose the point. The point is that even the, in the bathhouses, even the bathtubs in the houses, all of that water turned to blood. What, what God is saying will turn to blood. Even in wooden stone, as I said before, water and wooden vessels and in stone vessels, you know, like a cup or a bowl or a vase, whatever it is, it would also turn to blood, God said. Okay, let's continue with the necromancers of Egypt. They did the same with their secret rites, Rashi says. That refers to an incantation, which they uttered silently and in secret. That's one option. Our rabbis, however, said it means acts of demons. And it means simply acts of magic. Either way, whether it was incantations, using demons, 
or acts of magic, either way, they made their own something turn into something, maybe water turned to blood, and that just helped Pharaoh remain obstinate and, st- and, and stubborn and say, not happening. He said, you are doing this through sorcery. You are bringing straw to Ephraim, a city that is full of straw. So too you bring magic to Egypt. Oh, that's hilarious. I love ancient idioms, ancient phrases. He says, you're bringing straw to Ephraim. Not Ephraim, like our Ephraim, but Ephraim, which is a city that's already full of straw. You're pre- you ever hear the expression, you're preaching to the choir? Yeah. You're doing magic to a place full of, full of magic, right? So too, you bring magic to Egypt, which is already full of magic. Oh, Moses and Aaron. Oh, you guys are like a traveling, a traveling circus. You guys come with tricks. You got your staff that turns into a snake and your water turns to blood. It's like, bro. Welcome to the circus. You, we are the circus. It's like you're bringing the circus. To Barnum and Bailey hitting town. Magic sorcery. Right? We got this show coming up. Moses, the Moses and Aaron show. Bro, we already have programming. We already got this. We got this on the, on, on the schedule already. We got magic here already. You're not doing anything new. Pharaoh went home and he paid no heed even to this neither to the sign of the staff that had turned to a serpent, nor to this one of blood. He did not, he did not um, listen to any of this. It did not move him. So this is plague number one, and, um, and they're, still, they're still stubborn. Let's continue. Verse 24. All the Egyptians, maybe I'll just read 23. Again, Pharaoh turned and went home, and he paid no heed even to this. All the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink from the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had smitten the Nile. Oh, hold on one second. How did they get water? It says in the commentaries that the only fresh water they could find was water that that they purchased from the Jews in Goshen. Goshen was the Jewish ghetto, so to speak, then. That's where all the Jews lived. The Jews had clean water. The plague, obviously, as you can imagine, did not hit the Jewish community, the Jewish neighborhood. Egyptians that bought, shelled out cold, hard cash to purchase water from the Jews, from the Israelites, from the Hebrews, that water remained pure, and that's how they survived. By the way, I'm looking now at my table. We got the kids, actually, Leah got the kids a bit of a science kit for some winter break action. And I see over here some liquid, some purple liquid. You see that? A little purple liquid action. This is not blood. L'chaim, I'm kidding. I don't know what this is. But this is some sort of um, purple stuff. And the Egyptians said, yeah, we can also do this. We got, we got a kit also that does this. You're not impressing us. Pharaoh, they weren't impressed. Pharaoh wasn't impressed. The people were oppressed. They were trying to get water. The only, the only water they could get was, was the water that they bought. But it didn't move the needle for Pharaoh. Let's continue. Seven full days passed after the Lord had smitten the Nile. So it's one week later. And by the way, the commentaries, most commentaries say, it's pretty consistent, that each plague lasted for a full month. Each plague experience lasted for a month. There was like between the warning of the plague 
and the actual plague and different levels, degrees of the plague, and some time in between, it was about a full month. So 10 plagues, yeah, sometimes we think the story happens over a span of two weeks because that's how we read it in the Torah reading. It takes two weeks for all the plagues to happen. It took about a year for all this to go down. It was a full year that Egypt was suffering. Just a little context. But seven full days passed after the Lord had spent the Nile, and it was after the, the plague had run its course, so a week passed, the Lord said to Moses, we're ready for round two. Come to Pharaoh and say to him, so said the Lord, let my people go so that they may serve me. Once again, the request, the ask is put out there. Let my people go so that they may serve me. But, verse 27, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your borders with frogs. That's what God says. Uh, sorry, that's what God says to tell God says to Moses, tell Pharaoh, here's your next chance. Right? You next warning. You have a choice. You have a choice. Let the people go. God says, let my people go. If not, then you're gonna get hit with frogs. And the Nile, this is all the warning that God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, and the Nile will swarm with frogs. And they will go up. And, 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 and in case you're thinking, uh, frogs, what's the big deal? Frogs. Like, it doesn't sound too hectic, right? Frogs are frogs. Like, okay, let, live and let live. Nope. These are going to be frogs of harassment. They will go up and come into your house and into your bedroom and upon your bed and into the house of your servants and into your people. Into your people? You know what that means? Into your people? Into your people? means it's going to go inside also. It's going to go inside and into your ovens, and into your kneading troughs. Like when you're baking challah, yeah, that's going to happen. And into you, and into your people, and into all your servants, and the frogs will ascend. Don't think that this is going to be a great time, you know, to buy some stocks and frogs. This is going to be frogs, gone. this is going to be crazy frogs, right? Frogs that have gone mad, that have gone just meshuggah, everywhere just taking over your life. If you think frogs are cute, this is not going to be cute. This is going to be a problem. Right? What's wrong with Kermit? Remember Kermit? Kermit the frog? Yeah. Kermit the frog. I'm so tempted to break out my Kermit the frog. Um, hello, I'm Kermit the frog. Whatever. So Kermit, right? Kermit from, from Sesame Street. So cute. Or no, Kermit is from the Muppets. Right? Is he the Muppet or Seth? What is he from? Who knows? Where's Kermit from? Can someone give me a confirmation here? See one of the Muppets? I think it was a Muppet. He was a Muppet. Jim Henson. All right, good. We got it. Thank you, Joy. Thank you for confirming. So, frogs are cute, but not in this context. Let's look at Rashi and let's see exactly how bad it was going to get. This is all the warning stage. Nothing has happened yet. This is all the warning. It's all the warning. Um, okay, here we go. No, 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 no. Okay, here we go. Here, here's the one Rashi that I want to read. Rashi says, they will go into your people, as the Torah says, in, they will they'll go into you, into your people, into your servants. They, the frogs, would go, listen to this, they will go into their intestines and croak. Are you with me on this? Into their intestines and croak from the inside. 
We wish that on no one. This is, this is, yeah, this is intense. This is intense, my friends. This is not just frogs kind of hanging out as a companion. This is frogs taking over. Exodus chapter 8, verse number 1. The narrative continues. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch forth your hand with your staff over the rivers. Again, Aaron is the one that is going to hit the river because Moses, Hakar Satov, Moses, Moses is, uh, is grateful to the, to the Nile. He's not hitting the Nile. But Aaron will. He'll stretch his hand, his staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the ponds and bring up the frogs on the land of Egypt. That's the message, and that's what happens. And Aaron stretched forth his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Covered the land of Egypt means literally they were, the land was covered with frogs. According to the Medrash, according to our tradition, actually what happened was one massive frog. You may be familiar with this tradition, I always, I mean, I heard this as a kid, and I think I still have this image in my head as a kid, but this is what it says, that a massive frog emerged from the Nile originally. And all the Egyptians were, were afraid. Look at this massive, you know, freak of a frog. What kind of, like, massive, like, like um, Godzilla frog. And so they started hitting the frog, try to kill it. Every time they hit the frog... More, it multiplied, or frogs came out of its mouth, or whatever it is. It like spewed more frogs, like little frogs, but frogs. And the more they hit it, the more it multiplied, and it was a disaster for the Egyptians. However, however, still not to, Hold on. Do I hear footsteps? You want to say hi, Reeves? No? Okay. The answer is no. So this still does not impress... Pharaoh, nor his uh, sorcerers. Because verse 3 tells us what happened next. And the necromancers, that means the sorcerers of Egypt, they did likewise with their secret rites. And they brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. They're like, you made frogs, we can make frogs, no big deal. Right? No big deal. A hop, skip, and a jump away, we can make frogs, all puns intended. Right? No problem, we can do this too. No big deal. Thereupon, so Pharaoh... Is no, does not, Pharaoh's not impressed. However, at this point, Pharaoh is a little bit bugged. He's a little bit perturbed. He's bothered by this. So he called, so thereupon Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. And he said, entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people. In other words, and, and you could probably imagine him doing air quotes around the Lord. Right, go to the Lord. Like he, Pharaoh believes at this point that it's probably a magic trick that they're doing because his guys can do it. These guys have done it, but these guys can't take away what those guys did. So he goes to Moses and Aaron says, "You know, take away the, your Lord's uh, thing, and I will let." And look what he says here. This is after plague number two. He's already, you know, um, feigning negotiation. F e i g n i n g feigning. Right, not not really doing this, but like pretending. And I will let the people of, of Israel, sorry, and I will let out the people of Israel so that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So Pharaoh says after plague number two, after two, he allegedly seemingly is tapping out. He's saying, okay, I'm out. I'm out. Mercy. Yeah, I'm out. 
go to God, tell him to take away the frogs, and I'm going to let the people out so they can serve God. Uh, Moses knew that this was not, was not legit. Moses said to Pharaoh, verse 5, boast of your superiority over me. Just try. Just try to um, boast of your superior, superiority over me. For when, he says, for when shall I entreat for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they should remain only in the Nile? Moses says to Pharaoh, let's do a bit of a test over here. Let's see who's stronger than who. Let's see who's more powerful than who. To demonstrate my power, my ability, or God's ability, more precisely, you tell me what time the plague should be gone. You tell me, what, you tell me when you want to see these frogs gone. You tell me. This is like a called shot. Like, you tell me, and I'm going to get it done. And Pharaoh said, for tomorrow. Tomorrow, I want you to take it away. Not now, tomorrow. And Moses said, as you say, on your clock, on your, at your time, in order that you should know that there is none like the Lord our God. I'm going to do it not only when God wants it, but when you want it, and that way you're going to know that this is indeed God's ability to do it on demand. All right, let's take a look at Rashi's. We, we have a few verses for Rashi. Okay, Rashi, Rashi, Rashi. Okay, here we go. The frogs came up, literally, and the frog came up. This is what I told you before. Hatsafardea, which is singular. Literally, the frog came up. Rashi says it was one frog. And they, the Egyptians, hit it, and it split into many swarms of frogs. This is its Midrashic interpretation. Again, as I mentioned, this is the Medrash. There was one frog. They hit it, and it multiplied into many swarms of frogs. Now, in its simple meaning, it could be said that the swarming of frogs is referred to as singular. And likewise, and the lice were the swarming, pedolier in Old French, swarming of lice, and also grenolier in Old French, swarming of frogs. Okay, the language is not really uh, the Old French. I'm, you know, I'm going to, we'll, we'll leave that up to the experts, but here's what I'm going to say. According to the, to the Midrashic understanding, which Rashi actually puts first, even though he's typically doing the simple explanation. So the Midrashic understanding is that there was one frog, that's why it says it in the singular, and then he hit it, and, and then the, the Egyptians hit it, and it turned to many frogs. But on a simple level, Rashi says, you could get away with saying that the frog, you could refer to frogs, plural as frog, singular. Certain animal, certain animals that you use a singular expression. Like, how do you refer to one sheep? Sheep, right? Am I wrong here? Sheep is, is also one sheep. And two is sheep. There's no difference in English. One sheep, two sheep, three sheep, four sheep, five sheep, six feet, six sheep, right? Tongue twister. Tongue twister? you want to try it? No. Okay, so just like sheep and fish, right? One fish, two fish. Fish, fish. Red fish, blue fish. I could write a book. <laughs> write a kid's book. <laughs> oh, man. Dr. Seuss already wrote this. Crazy. All right. So here's the deal. Frogs, he says, could also be singular frog. All right. Next. Um, 
Rashi on the last verse, second to last verse, Hispar Alai, boast of the superior over me, similar to shall the axe boast over the one who used with it, it praises itself, saying, I am greater than you. Um, so Moses said to Pharaoh, you praise yourself by acting cleverly and asking a difficult thing and saying I'll be unable to do it. In other words, you try to get the better of me. You try to tell me when you want the plague on and see if I can do it. It was basically Moses saying, not only am I going to get it done, I'll get it done when you call it and that's going to prove to you that it's legit. That which I entreat for you today, next Rashi, regarding the extermination of the frogs, tell me when do you wish them to be exterminated? And you will see whether I fulfill my words for the time that you set for me. As if it were stated, it would mean, when shall I pray? All right, the, the rest is, uh, is grammatical, which we're going to skip. So Rashi says, that, sorry, the Torah said, the Pharaoh said tomorrow. Rashi explains, pray today that they should be exterminated tomorrow. And it, and it happened, and so it was, as we'll continue the narrative, it happened exactly at that time. All right, so the first, so, so this, this is where we're going to end today. We have exactly two, two of the ten plagues that we read about today, in today's session. Plague number one is where the Nile River turns to blood. And plague number two is where the frogs um, come out of the... Nile River and essentially attack. Well, we haven't. No, we did. We read about it. Yeah, yeah. The frogs came came out and and attacked the Egyptians. I want to share with you an insight. Well, first of all, let me tell you this. Tonight's class, tonight's Torah class, is all about the frogs and the deeper meaning of the plague of frogs. So join me tonight at seven thirty to explore the deeper meaning of the plague of frogs. But I want to share with you something that I won't share tonight, which is the the interesting juxtaposition or the contrast that exists between the first and the second plagues. What happens in the first plague is that the cold Nile River, the cold waters of the Nile, turn to blood. So river water is typically cold and blood is typically hot. So you have something cold getting hot. And what happens with the frogs with the second plague? You have frogs that emerge from the Nile River Hold on, hold on, hold on. And what did they do? Hold on, let me think about this. What did they do? The, the frogs jumped into the ovens. Right? The frogs, one, one of the things that we read is that they, they were going to jump into the ovens, Batana Rehem in the ovens. So what does that mean for the oven? The oven was hot, and it got cooled down when the frogs, which is a cold-blooded creature, jumped in. So what we have with the first plague is something cold becoming hot. In the second plague, we have something hot, namely the ovens, getting cooled off by the cold-blooded frogs. Blood, uh, frogs are amphibious creatures that are cold-blooded by nature. So we have the cold turning hot and the hot turning cold, and the Rebbe says something powerful. This is what causes the downfall within us on a consistent basis, right? What plagues us? Forget the Egyptians. What plagues us? It's when the cold thing becomes hot and the hot thing becomes cold. Let me explain. It's when the things that we shouldn't care so much about become a big deal. That's the cold stuff becoming hot. And it's when the stuff that we should care about when we become indifferent to those things. That's the symbolism of the first two plagues. 
These are not just afflictions of Egypt, but they're signs of what needs to be corrected within our behavior. Something that's cold becoming hot is a problem. If something is not so meaningful, something meaningless, and it becomes this big issue, we become all to hits, we become all heated up about it, that's a problem. That's a problem. So what are some examples of that? On a simple level, you can say, you know, somebody says something, did something, you get all upset about it. It's a little thing. Maybe don't become so upset about it. It's a, it's a thing. Let it, let, it, let it just be. Don't get all, 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 all heated up. That's number one. Another application is, as the Rebbe says, materialism. Materialism. Money and stuff and possessions. Stuff. It's, uh, you need it. Fine. But don't become all worked up about it. Don't, don't make that a passion project of life, which is uh, to, 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 to collect more things. Right? The stuff that's cold, don't make hot. The stuff that, you know, the, the, the stuff that you need to get through life, don't make it into a passion project. That's the first plague. That's the sign of the first plague. And what's the second plague? It's even worse. It's when the oven becomes cold. It's when what should be hot gets cooled off. It's when instead of being excited about doing a mitzvah, eh, instead of being excited about davening to Hashem, eh, instead of being excited about studying Torah, no big deal. It's when we don't care about the things that we should care about, that's even worse. So there's caring, there's caring too much. Elizabeth Taylor once had a, a robbery at her house. A lot of jewelry was stolen from her. And they asked her afterwards, are you upset? How do you feel? She said, I'm not going to cry over something that won't cry over me. Her point is these are inanimate objects. So to cry, to literally shed tears over something that cannot shed tears for me would be a misplacement of, would be misplaced energy. And I think it fits perfectly into this idea. Something that's cold and essentially dead, for lack of a better term, let's not get all hot and bothered about it, right? Let's not get all like worked up about it. The stuff that's it's materialism. All right, it, it is, it needs to be whatever it is, but don't get so don't get so heated up about it. That's the first plague. Don't make the cold stuff hot. Conversely, definitely don't make the hot stuff cold. Stuff that really should be hot, stuff that really should be we should be passionate about, stuff that that's really meaningful. Don't be uncaring and unmoved by it. Don't 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 turn an apathetic uh, eye or whatever it is toward that. If it's if it's valuable, it should be important. So, it, to put this in another context, the stuff that's not that important, or just in other words, it's really the same words, but I'm just gonna say it one more time. The stuff that's not that important, don't make important. And the stuff that is important, don't make unimportant. As Covey said, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. That's the main thing, right? Good. All right, that's it for today. Tonight, join us for Frogs 101, all, all about the plague of frogs. But now I just gave you a chassidic insight on the duality of blood and frogs and the message for our own lives. Really, the bottom line is... When God comes to you and says, this is where I need you to be, don't resist. It's not, not, a, good, not a good look, Pharaoh. Don't resist. It's only going to get worse. All right, we're, two, we're, we're, 
a fifth of the way into the plagues tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. We'll pick up the conversation with the next few plagues. Join me then. Join me tonight at 7.30. Stay tuned for the email with all the details. And I uh, want to wish everybody lots of blessings. Good? Make sense? All right. Amazing. Thank you. To pleasure, you. pleasure. We'll see you guys. Have a wonderful Thank day. You. Take care, everybody. You too. Bye. Thank you. Great to see you.